Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. This week's host is me, John Horner Eibler. Welcome back to our podcast. We're talking to somebody that I just like have a claw and scratch to be interviewed as a part of this particular podcast. So uh, we started these podcasts during COVID, and I think we did 40 or 50 of them, and we focused uh, initially a lot on COVID issues, and then we talked a lot with our partners as a congregation. Somewhere along the way, we never talked with anyone from the Bread of Healing Free Clinic, which is one of our longstanding partners. And the medical director at the Bread of Healing Free Clinic is someone named Barbara Horner Eibler. And I thought, hey, we should talk to her once. So uh, I am so glad to be talking with my own wife, Barb, uh, about things that are really important, which really matter a lot. Um, so this is actually going to end up being a multi-portion uh, podcast. So this first part is with Barb uh, talking about why a free clinic uh, even needs to exist in our modern healthcare environment. And then at some later point, we're going to take a trip to one of the Bread of Healing sites and talk with some of the people who work and volunteer and, and maybe are served in those places. But for, for this week, it seems like a a good place to start is to just get some background on where this clinic came from and where it fits into the larger picture of healthcare in the United States. As as I was kind of getting ready for this, I, I looked at an estimate of total spending in the U.S. economy on anything related to healthcare is $3 trillion a year. And so with a number like that, then you, you begin to wonder, how is it even possible that, that you would need a, a free clinic to still uh, somehow adjust or compensate for the fact that some people uh, don't have access to care. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Barb, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Hey, it's good to have you. So let's kind of take it from the top down and we'll kind of work our way through U.S. healthcare. Eventually, we'll make our way to Bread of Healing. So just uh, uh, explain briefly the kind of the different levels of access to healthcare, m Medicare, private pay, Medicaid, Everybody hears those terms. I'm not sure everybody knows what they mean. Well, let's start with uh, Medicaid, which in Wisconsin is available for anyone who earns less than 100% of the federal poverty level. That varies state by state, but in Wisconsin it's less than 100%. So what would federal poverty level be? I'll give you those numbers. Okay. This year, for 2023, an individual earning $14,500, $501, is over income to be eligible for Medicaid if you okay. earn less than that, so roughly about $1,215 a month. If you earn less than that, you're eligible for Medicaid, which is a state program um, that covers all of your uh, medical costs with a very small deductible, usually pretty affordable, 25 to 25 cents to three dollars for medications, for instance, three dollars for an office visit. So for folks at the very low end of the of the uh, poverty level, uh, they are eligible in Wisconsin for Medicaid. Medicare is a program for people over the age of 65 that is available regardless of income. So we do have universal health care in the United States. It begins at the age of 65. Uh, all of those people in between uh, have several options for health care. Uh, they 
can off many times they can get a an employee employer sponsored healthcare insurance policy. Uh, that means their employer shares some of the costs, they share some of the costs, uh, and they're in a commercial insurance plan. People um, can now, uh, anyone over 100% of the federal poverty level are now eligible to be on the affordable care marketplace. So people can purchase their own insurance. Um, those policies are are with private insurance plans, but they are federally subsidized so that they become more affordable at the lower end of the income bracket. So 100 to 300 percent of the federal poverty level are subsidized by the federal government. So they're still private insurance plans, but they're made affordable by the Affordable Care Act. Uh, People can try and purchase their own individual plans, which becomes very expensive. And for anyone over 400% of federal poverty level, there aren't subsidies available. And so you can purchase a plan, but it's very expensive. Uh, our folks at the Bread of Healing Clinic get caught between their over-income for Medicaid. They have to their only option is to buy a plan in the marketplace. They often don't aren't offered an employer plan, sponsored plan. So they have to buy in the marketplace. The marketplace policies are great for people who are very healthy. All of the screening is covered, once a year doctor visit to make sure you catch anything that might be developing. Um, medications, if you have to purchase them, will be subject to a deductible. So if you have generic medications, it's affordable. Our folks all have chronic illness, asthma, COPD, diabetes, and so those, those medicines become very expensive for those people and they're all subject to the deductible. So if you have, you're making $1,220 a month, you're over income for Badger Care, for Medicaid in the state, so you buy an ACA policy, but your policy has a $1,000 deductible. Uh, and you go to the uh, pharmacy, and the pharmacist tells you your cost for your inhalers will be $500 for the first month. And you have to come up with that And you front. have to come up with that now to be able to get your medications. $1,220 a month, you've pay you're paying rent. You're probably paying some balance on a medical bill somewhere. You might be paying on a car or you have to buy your bus ticket to get to work. You have to buy food. And so where does your $500 come from? So these plans become not feasible to use. People can buy them and many people do to protect themselves against bankruptcy from the cost of healthcare. So if they're hospitalized, but they can't use them effectively to manage their chronic illness. And so those are the folks that we take care of at the clinic. And virtually 100% of our patients are at less than 180% of the federal poverty level. So, um, so and, and anyone over 200% of the federal poverty level has seemed to be able to manage the ACA policies and the costs. So it's those folks that are in between that are caught. And so those are the folks we take care of at the clinic. As long as we're on that, um, 
you aim uh, your care primarily at 18 through uh, 65 year olds. Tell us a little bit about health care for children in our country. Uh, health for health care, <clears throat> excuse me, health care for children is a, a little better covered um, than for adults. So uh, for we seem to have a better sense of responsibility to children mm. uh, in the country. And so uh, children who live in households that have earned less than 300% of the federal poverty level are eligible for Medicaid. But the parents in those households are not eligible for Medicaid between 100 and 300% of federal poverty. So most of the folks, we have seen children at the clinic on occasion. Most of the time, we can create an eligibility for them for health insurance. And so we, uh, we don't see a lot of children. We don't see them. We don't expect to see them for any uh, continuity of care. Most of us are not family practice. <laughs> I went into medicine for adults. Uh, and so I can treat the emergency, the ear infection, um, that kind of thing. But, but generally, we don't have to take care of children. Okay. So you did not uh, go into medicine thinking, wow, I'll be part of a team that creates a free clinic. Uh, tell us a little bit about the journey that took you from, you know, being a medical resident to this this, this uh avocation and kind of passion of yours? I did go into medicine thinking I would serve the underserved. So that was pretty clear. And so I did my residency at Sinai uh, Medical Center downtown in Milwaukee, um, which is right at State and 12th. Um, so serving the north side of Milwaukee. Um, and what I was seeing as a resident was that we would admit patients who were in hypertensive crisis, blood pressures of 220 over 150, blood sugars in the 600s. We would manage their condition while they're in the hospital. We would get them controlled on new medications or, um, and some regimen uh, to keep their blood pressure or blood sugars under control, and then we'd discharge them. And then we'd readmit those very same patients three months later because they couldn't see a doctor and they couldn't get medications. And it was just a revolving door of the same patients. And I was talking with a residency group this morning and talking about handwriting all of our histories and physicals in the medical chart. Wow, you are dating yourself, <laughs> I am really Barbara. really old. Uh, but it was a frustrating process. I'm writing exactly the same thing that I wrote three months earlier for the exact same patient, and all they needed was medication and uh, to be able to see a doctor without having to come to the emergency room. And so um, I was complaining to one of my attending physicians that this was a revolving door and we really weren't solving any problem here. We were just recreating the problem down a few months later. And so he was a member of a church that was about six blocks from Sinai uh, that had a parish nurse. And the parish nurse was saying to this physician, it's so frustrating. I take people's blood pressure and I take people's blood sugar and they're high. And I tell them they should see their doctor and they tell me they don't have one. And so I'd love to be able to, 
to offer something to these patients. And so the doctor, member of the congregation, got the two of us together and said, maybe there's something we could do. And Rick Caesar and I talked for about six months trying to plan and realized there is no planning for this. <laughs> you don't know what is any given day, and this is 23 years now, any given day you have no idea what's going to walk through the door. And so we finally decided we just had to open and see what happened. And so we opened. We saw about 120 patients the first year. It cost us about $5,000 to get their medications, and none of them were back in the hospital. And so that began the Bread of Healing Clinic. Wow. So Rick Caesar was the parish nurse at... Uh, was at he Cross, at he was Cross at Lutheran Cross Church, Lutheran. so one of our partners, Cross Lutheran. And Tom Jackson, Tom Jackson was the other member at Cross Lutheran. And he was your attending. He was my attending physician. I got tired of hearing Rick complain and Barb complain and said, okay, figure it out. And we did. Wow. So, uh, so if you saw 120 people the first year, tell us about the clinic nowadays. Well, it grew exponentially um, uh, over the years. We were our, at our largest in 2013, just before the ACA came in. We were at about 3,000 patients. We had about uh, 9,000 or 10,000 visits at that time. Uh, and then the ACA came in, and we lost um, about half of the patients which was, which afford, was a good thing, Which right? was a good thing. And our goal always from the beginning was to be able to go out of business. We want everyone to have health care, if that means through an insurance policy, however we can get there. We want everyone to have access to health care. And as soon as everyone has access to health care, we get to go out of business. We haven't uh, been able to do that Emphasis on affordable access, I would affordable think. Affordable access. Well, yes, access that's expensive people can't use right I mean it's, it's not, not access. it's not access so um, so this in the past year we are at about uh, 1500 patients so still at about half of what we were in 2013 um, a lot of people were able to get onto Medicaid Badger care um, during the pandemic because they suspended financial evaluations so for so many of our patients, they're right on the cusp of being eligible for Medicaid and then getting a job that pays a little bit more and then they're not eligible for Medicaid. And we talk about that in and out of Medicaid as the churn, um, which is very difficult to manage. For our patients, they know they can always come back to us. And so they do. Um, there are a lot, it's happening to a lot of people out there that don't know about us though, and so somehow we'd like to be able to reach that patient population. Um, so 1,500 patients now, we're seeing about uh, 5,000 medical visits uh, every year. Um, we are, uh, so last year had about uh, 5,000 total visits, uh, medical visits. We also have been able to add over the years, all with volunteers, social work, behavioral health, and uh, dental services. So our dental clinic saw f uh, had 500 visits. 
um, 96 were new patients. 96 people were new patients. Our specialist visits saw 850 patients, visits, and about 340 new patients. Now, our specialist visits are open to all, anyone who's in a free clinic in southeastern Wisconsin. So it's not just our own patients, but we open that to all of the free, other free clinics as well. And then our behavioral health saw 2,000 visits with about 100 new patients and ongoing existing and, and patients. And explain behavioral health. Behavioral health is for mental health services, counseling services. And our social workers had 8,000 patient contacts. Wow. So. And, and tell us about that a little bit. What, why would a social worker have contact with one of your patients? So social work um, sees, does an intake interview with every new patient. Uh, who comes in and then sees other patients as needs arise. Uh, they are able to evaluate patients. Maybe they're eligible for some insurance, and so then we want to uh, get them set up for that. Um, and they help people enroll. Uh, we, um, they enroll people in uh, food programs, uh, SNAP, uh, food, food stamp benefits. Uh, they enroll people in um, uh, um, heating uh, coverage cost um, programs. So they do a whole intake and <clears throat> with the patient and kind of judge where things are and are there things that people are eligible for that, that they're not taking advantage of yet. And uh, one of my favorite questions on their intake form is, how many times in a week or in a month do you talk to somebody who you know loves you? And it's just a beautiful way to understand how connected people are to their family members or to friends. Um, if somebody says once a week, we think, okay, they have some contact. Once a day is great. Um, if somebody says once a month, we know those are people then that we need to keep extra tabs on. So if there's 40 below zero weather, we know those are the people that we need to touch base with, make sure they're safe, make sure they have some place to go, that they have heat. If it's 110 degrees outside, we need to make sure that they have a place with air conditioning. Um, when COVID happens, those are the folks who are most disconnected and we need to connect with. Um, so, so there, there's a wide variety. They also do all of our care management. So if we have need for a patient to be seen by a specialist at the hospital, they make sure that appointment gets scheduled. They make sure the patient has ability to get to that appointment. Um, uh, and then we do care management with, if somebody needs home care services, that's a particular challenge if you don't have insurance but it's not impossible. Diabetic shoes, we've been able to get diabetic shoes for a patient without health insurance. Um, so these are the things that kind of social work helps us to manage. Okay. So I think most of us, when we think of a medical clinic, think of like shots and taking our pulse. So clearly you think of people's health as more than just their body and their blood pressure. That's intentional, I presume. That is intentional. I didn't go to seminary for nothing. 
Um, yeah, we have always seen our care of patients um, to uh, be much broader than just the medical. People can't be healthy if they aren't socially connected to people, if they don't have support for mental health illness, if they don't have... It's amazing. It's been amazing to me to see how much of a difference dental care makes. Um, uh, fixing somebody te somebody's teeth and giving them a partial that gives them front teeth and the smile you see afterwards. I had one patient who um, I saw him after he had gotten dentures um, at, from our dentist, and he said, Dr. Barb, I was at my mom, at our family reunion last weekend, and I had my mom's barbecued spare ribs. I said, wait don't you have high blood pressure? He said, oh, Dr. Barb, I haven't had this in 10 years. I had to eat some. Dr. Barb, what a buzzkill. <laughs> I was such a buzzkill. Uh, but just, you know, the, just the fact that you could share in that with your family yeah, members is yeah, just that's... an amazing thing. And mm -hmm. I had not ever thought about how important that was. So being able to add dental to the clinic was a really important yeah. step to take. Well, as a little sidelight, I think that remains the largest ever Lent offering here at Unity was uh, creating funds to provide things like dentures and, and other uh, uh, dental apparatus for people in need. So maybe and, he was one of them. And we call it the Tooth Fairy Fund. And so we make that those dollars available to people to supplement their... Um, we ask people to to put in some of the cost for dentures, which is about $400 for uppers and lowers. I don't know why anyone would get one of them, but apparently- That's how it works. That's how it works. So, um, uh, but if they can't come up with the full amount, uh, and many of them actually do, um, family members wow. chip in, you know, this is my Christmas gift to you. Um, so it's really amazing, but whatever people can come up with, we can supplement with the Tooth Fairy Fund. Um, tell us a little bit more about, um, so Bread of Healing is in more than one location, uh, and you're not the only free clinic in the city of Milwaukee. I mean, and then there are these things called federally qualified health clinics. Just want a whole other world. Want to yeah. explain all of that for us a yep. little bit? <clears throat> The Fed, well, let's start with the Federally Qualified Health Centers, FQHCs. Uh, I think we have five of them with several with satellite clinics in the city of Milwaukee. These are federally funded clinics. Um, they are intended to give access to people uh, with Medicaid, Medicare, and the uninsured. They're required to see patients with no insurance. But they bill patients without insurance for every visit, every lab, every medicine they pick up. And so if you only have a one-time need, you have strep throat, need an antibiotic, that's, that's an access point for folks if you're uninsured. But if you um, have chronic illness, it's difficult to be able to pay the costs associated with that. So, so it doesn't, and then the federally qualified health centers are required to meet a certain percentage of their income uh, from fees. 
that they collect. Well, if they don't collect the fees because people don't have the money to pay them, then they have to restrict access to uninsured patients because it has to be a certain percentage of their budget by federal law. And so, um, so it doesn't serve people very well for, with no insurance. So out of that, um, in addition to that kind of service, are free clinics. And there are about 24 free clinics in the Milwaukee metro area. And that includes Racine to the south, um, as far north as uh, Glendale to the north, and then uh, Oconomowoc to the west. So we have a collaborative of these, all of these clinics. We meet once a month. Bread of Healing is probably the largest independent free clinic in the city, and so we've taken responsibility with our social workers to coordinate the monthly gathering and talking about topics that we're all seeing, problems we are all engaged in solving, and um, so we gather once a month. Um, Bread of Healing has three different sites, and those all came up related to um, interest from the congregation. So we started at Cross Lutheran. Eastbrook Church sent us several volunteers who said, well, shouldn't we have one to the north? <laughs> and so further north to give more accessibility to the north side of the city. And so Eastbrook started in about 2004, 2005. And then our partner congregation, Florist Avenue Lutheran Church at that time, uh, had a parish nurse that was sponsored by uh, Cross of Life um, and uh, was had the same situation that we had at Cross, checking blood pressures, checking blood sugars, people having elevations and nowhere to go. And so we started a clinic that we're still at, um, at Florist Avenue, although the congregation has now um, been changed. Uh, and so now it's Traveler's Rest Ministries. And that's where your your dental is And that's where our there, dental right? is, yep. And uh, Eastbrook does everything, but... Uh, in particular, is there kind of a vision focus there, or is that in... Uh, yes, the both dental and ophthalmology have particularly high equipment cost needs, and so we could only do one of each of those. So we did florist with dental, we did Eastbrook with ophthalmology. So we have a slit lamp, we have a retinal camera, um, we so and we have the residency program from mcw and jessica schreiber was a big volunteer um to get that off the ground the ophthalmology off the ground for us um and so uh and saint matt's had two dentists who initially volunteered who got our dental off the ground for oh, us saint matthew lutheran in wauwatosa, in wauwatosa. Right, right. Yep. yeah it's quite a consortium of congregations and uh not just Christian, correct? I mean, uh, you pull from a broader array of faith groups. And um, that, tell us a little bit about how many languages get uh, spoken at the at the at the clinics. We have Aurora has given us. Well, first, I want to tell you the best vision of Bread of Healing was the um, Christian Muslim pastor who brought. I mean, Christian pastor. Middle Eastern pastor who brought his Muslim friend to see the Jewish doctor at Eastbrook Evangelical Church 
and pretty much covers it all. It, it was just the most beautiful experience of um, recognizing a need and responding to the need, and it didn't matter what religion anyone was. Um, so that was uh, um, just a beautiful vision of of the clinic. Um, I'm sorry, I've lost language. Language, because like you got a lot of languages. We have through. a lot of languages, and Aurora um, has given us a, access to a language line with a video feed uh, for most languages. But literally every single language on the planet is available uh, to us. Some of it, not always video, some of it just by phone, but we can dial in and pick the language. And at the clinic, we have had uh, 42 different languages spoken. And you've been fortunate to have, at times, many of those represented also in your staff to actually be able to... Well, that's how we get some of the patients. (laughs) Um, So somebody discovers that our Lutheran Volunteer Corps person speaks Urdu or speaks Hindi, and so then they kind of, it's out in their community in Milwaukee, and so then they bring friends and family to see us. So um, Spanish, uh, we have several staff people who speak Spanish, and we actually have hired a college student to do some of our translation for us as well. Uh, tell, tell us what what does bread of healing mean? I mean, where does that come from, and how does that relate to your roots as really understanding uh, healing as in a very holistic way. I mean, it is very physical, but it's also very spiritual. Um, so the, the name comes actually from Cross Lutheran Church's program called Bread of Healing. And we were meeting at the same time that their noon meal, AODA groups, and their food pantry were meeting in the afternoon. So we were overlapping. And so we just called ourselves Bread of Healing Clinic. It comes from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And that is just an acknowledgement of um, all of us come to the clinic um, and give gifts to the people who are coming to the clinic. However, all of us who are receiving gi- who are giving gifts are also very much receiving gifts. And we want our volunteers to be aware of the gifts that they're receiving from patients. Um, and sometimes they're concrete things, like we have one person who works at um, El Rey grocery store, and every single appointment, he brings a grocery bag of the best mangoes ever. That has been in a sermon here at Unity Luther Church, Barbara. <laughs> uh, it's just such a great thing. It's such a little thing, but such a great thing. And so just recognizing that we are receiving gifts, um, even while we're giving gifts. And so that's been really key for our volunteers. Um, and, and I would say one of our volunteers overheard one of the patients talking one day saying, well, I joined the Bread of Healing Clinic about seven years ago. And it's like, she, she came to me, she's a nurse in a hospital system. And she said, who talks about their clinic, like joining the club? It's just, but that's the sense that people have. And um, one of the best stories of one of our volunteers was uh, she volunteered for Red Cross. So she went out to a fire one night in an apartment building. And 
Over the din of the sirens and the hoses and the water and the fire, she heard, bread of healing, bread of healing, bread of healing. And one of the people displaced by the fire was one of our patients and came over and embraced her. And um, it, for me, she didn't remember her name. She didn't remember, but she knew the face. And, and the volunteer knew the face mm-hmm. and um, so connected on that level. And that is just such a picture of Bread of Healing. So we connect on so many different levels with patients, with volunteers, with staff, with um, we're all in it together. So... Oh, Barb, there is so much to talk about. Uh, one thing I think people should know is, so you're providing medical services. You also teach. Say a little bit about that. We have a variety of students who come through the program. Uh, we have residents, medical students from Madison. We have residents from Aurora. We have nutrition students um, from a variety of programs. We have nursing students from Mount Mary, from uh, MSOE and from UWM. We have social workers from uh, Mount Mary and from UWM. We have behavioral health students from Marquette from UWM. So uh, it's a way for us to expand services because one, one psychologist or one counselor can supervise five students. So it expands the amount of services that we can provide for patients, but it also gets people in very early into understanding the role that they can play with people who, even those who don't have access to insurance, and reminds professionals that apart from those who are seeing you in an office somewhere because they have insurance, there are lots of people out there who can't access your office. And so find a place to volunteer and make it available. Another thing I've always found interesting um, is is your no-show rate is really relatively low, right? I mean, once people have access, they really they really gravitate to it. They do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we we should be wrapping up, but let's just end with uh, what do you love about what you do, Barb? Because I, I know you love it. Uh, <laughs> what do you love about what you do? I I love that my day is filled with a variety of things to do. So I love that I can't predict what each day will hold. Um, and I love both the people I work with, the staff, uh, and the volunteers, and the fact that um, there's hope in the midst of, a, of systems that don't always provide to people. But there's a way to solve that problem. And we do that at Bread of Healing. Hey, Barbara Ann, thanks for spending some time chatting with us on Belief Beat and sharing about that original vision of Bread of Healing is just kind of born out of frustration and has borne a lot of fruit, including a few mangoes <laughs> along the way. Um, thanks for listening in whenever you happen to listen to this particular podcast. And maybe a month or so down the road, uh, watch for one that comes up as we uh, make an actual visit to uh, our good friends at the Bread of Healing Clinic. I'm so glad you've been able to be a part of it. Uh, John Horner Eibler, uh, on behalf of Barbara Horner Eibler, thanks for listening and goodbye.